Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. And now, The Sports Buzz with your host, Kevin Wolf, with Andy Loigu. And how are we all doing, sports junkies? As yours truly, Kevin Wolf, is back behind a microphone to chat with you about what's happening in the world of sports as it's another edition of the Sports Buzz coming your way live on Twitter Spaces, on Clubhouse, And we make it available for podcast playback through Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you go for your daily audio craving as yours truly will be taking you solo throughout this evening's broadcast as my broadcast partner Andy Loigu is on special assignment this week and will not be able to join us, but he'll be back in action and raring to go next week for more thought-provoking, hard-hitting sports talk as we are now in the month of October. It is a busy time in the world of sports as the Major League Baseball postseason will become front and center with the divisional round starting this weekend. The NFL season enters week five with the pigskin on the football field. The college football season is heating up as week six action has already begun. The baseball offseason for some of the locals here in New York has had drama one week out of the season concluding. And there's a lot to hone in on on this evening's broadcast. We'll get to some WNBA basketball a little bit later on. We'll get to some college football a little bit later on. I like to keep the show national and give you a national perspective on what's happening in the world of sports, but there's been so much happening here in the New York metro area that I come to the microphone tonight wondering what has happened to the New York sports franchises that we root for on a daily basis. The New York Jets season started off wrong when Aaron Rodgers got injured after four snaps in that week one opening night matchup, Monday night football against the Bills. The Jets are one and three. The New York Giants, who were fun to watch last year, who were fundamentally sound, who gave the fans an array of hope with a 9-7-1 record, a trip to the divisional round against the Philadelphia Eagles, optimism this offseason, a great coaching staff led by Brian Dable, Mike Kafka calling the offensive plays, Wink Martindale on the defense. The optimism was extremely high concerning the New York football giants and the 2023 football season. Well, it's been anything but that through the first four weeks. I get they had to come back in the second half against the Cardinals, 
I get Daniel Jones made some big plays, had some big throws in the air. The receivers answered the call. The Giants rallied back and got a big win to even their record at a game apiece. But they played ugly football against the 49ers in Santa Clara on short rest on Thursday night in week three with Al Michaels on the call with Amazon Prime. And then they went out there this past Monday and they got embarrassed. I mean embarrassed on national TV by Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. This team was unprepared for this game. They weren't focused. It looks like they did very little in preparation the week leading up to this game. They had extra rest coming in, and they looked like a mighty might football team. They looked like they never took to the football field before and played an NFL football game. That's how bad the quarterback Daniel Jones was. And I get Barkley was out with an injury, but that's no excuse. Daniel Jones is the quarterback of this team. He's supposed to be the leader of this team. He's supposed to go out there and give you good offensive play. And I've said time and time again on this broadcast that the guy can't throw the ball long. His accuracy is iffy, to say the least. He relies more on his legs and the ground-and-pound attack. And when the Giants' offensive system with the ground-and-pound attack don't work, they're not going to go out there and win games. The problem was their offensive line couldn't hold up. The Seahawks' defense had 11 sacks in the game, and the rookie Devon Weatherspoon became the focal point with a key interception, played his heart out at the cornerback position and ended up being the signature player and the star stud player in the game for the Seahawks led by head coach Pete Carroll. When the Seahawks play ground and pound football, that's where they thrive. And when that is clicking, they're going to go out there and they're going to dominate. They didn't only have a good offensive performance, their defense was downright unbelievable in the game. They came prepared, they came ready to play, and for 60 minutes, they dominated the New York Giants. And I'll say it again, I had concerns this offseason that the first year under Brian Dable could have been a fluke for this team with the 9-7-1 record and a trip to the divisional round where they got whitewashed by the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that the Eagles dominated for 60 minutes and obliterated the Giants. Giants weren't ready for that game in the divisional round. I wasn't expecting them to go out there and beat the Eagles. But the one thing I did know is that they had a good season that there was a change at the leadership position. They had the right guys in place to go out there and lead this team. Jones and Barkley were the two catalysts offensively to get this team where they needed to be with the ground and pound attack. They had some great defensive performances. They were able to find ways to win games late. Their defense always came up and got a turnover or two to help them win that game. None of the momentum and strides 
that were made last season have progressed into year two under Brian Dable. And you should be concerned as a New York Giant fan. They've been unfocused. They've been hard to watch. They've been unprepared. They come into every game each week without a game plan. They haven't been able to defend. The secondary hasn't shown up. They've been mistackling like crazy. And Brian Dable on the sideline showing frustration, throwing a clipboard because Daniel Jones isn't performing right. Instead of throwing a clipboard, Brian, why don't you go out there and do something during the week in practice to try and fine-tune the quarterback, to try and make sure this quarterback can excel for the next game? Because you're getting ready for a Week 5 matchup against the Miami Dolphins, a team that is far superior than your team, a team whose offensive scheme is extremely tough to solve, a team that went out there in Week 3 and put up 70 points against the Denver Broncos, 70 points to a tongue of Iloa has fit in very well to Mike McDaniel's offensive system, and the Miami Dolphins may be turning that corner now of being a superior team in the AFC. Tyreek Hill has worked out great from the receiving core. They got a very good defense. They had a quarterback last year who suffered a few concussions in the season, was injury-prone, well, you know what? He took this off season and he rectified some things and he has been unbelievable with his play on the football field for the Miami Dolphins. And the 1 and 3 Giants will limp in to South Florida this Sunday for a 1 o'clock game and they will need to try and find a way to tame an offense that has been unconscious throughout the first four weeks. Now, I get the Dolphins lost to the Bills in Orchard Park, but nobody said the Bills were going to be an easy task. Nobody said the Bills were going to be a bad team. I get they lost opening night to the New York Jets, but when you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and key guys on the receiving core and a top-tier defense and Sean McDermott, a great head coach, you're going to go out there and you're going to contend. The Bills could be a big-time favorite to get to a Super Bowl this year. They got all the pieces. So we knew the Bills were going to be a tough task for the Dolphins in that Week 4 matchup in Orchard Park. But we've seen a lot from the Dolphins that has opened up the NFL fans' eyes to tell us this team's for real this season. And the Giants now come into this game Sunday with a Herculean task of trying to go out there and play a competitive game against the Dolphins team who has put up a ton of points, has been tough to solve, has a young head coach, and has great players in key positions that make them excel week in and week out on the football field. And if you think the Dolphins matchup is bad in week five, wait till week six when you got to travel to Buffalo and take on the pesky Bills led by Josh Allen. I know Josh Allen is turnover-prone with the interception. I know he has that 
bad habit of throwing a pick or two in a game. But these next two games for the New York Giants will be signature games for how the remainder of their season plays out. Because you're playing in the NFC East against an undefeated Eagles team, a Cowboys team that is far superior, a Commanders team that needs fine-tuning after last night's atrocious loss to the Bears at home, 40-20. to And we'll get to that game a little bit later on. But there's a lot of concerns for the New York Giants. The offensive line has been putrid. The defense hasn't shown up. And the quarterback's been embarrassing. And that has summed up thus far the New York football Giants this season. Listen, I get they had the one good half against the Cardinals. But it's the Arizona Cardinals, folks. You're lucky if the Cardinals win seven games this season. So if you think I'm going to take 30 minutes of one half of football and tell you that that was a signature moment for this giant season, you're crazy. Wake up, smell the coffee. I don't have an ounce of confidence in this Giants team. I've had issues with the quarterback year in and year out. I was a little more optimistic last year, I must admit, but this isn't a big-time quarterback. Every time you feel like he's progressing, he digresses. Every time you feel like there's an array of hope, the team goes out there and falls flat on their face. So that 9-7-1 season last year may just end up being a fluke after all as we get ready for week five on the football field. And listen, if you're a Jet fan, you left last Sunday night's game against the Chiefs a little bit more optimistic that maybe Zach Wilson has found some progress in his play at the quarterback position on the football field. We know losing Aaron Rodgers was detrimental to this team this season. We get that. But you have pieces there that you can work with to at least try to make a run for a wild card spot. You have pieces there. You have Dalvin Cook at running back. You have Lazard. You have Cobb. Priest Hall has stepped up and looked good. You have a defense that is top tier when it's on its game with the right game plan in place. You have to hope the Jets now can build off of that week four performance with Wilson and go into this game against the Denver Broncos confident, ready to play, and ready to battle for 60 minutes. Because if Wilson can make some big plays like he did last week, I think the Jets have a good shot of beating a Denver Broncos team that hasn't exceeded expectations yet this season with Sean Payton at the helm as head coach. The Broncos are off to a slow start. Yeah, I get they rallied to come back and beat the Bears last Sunday. I get that. But the Bears were the worst team in the NFL entering Week 5 play last night against the Commanders. My local town football team, the Mighty Mites, could go out there and beat the Chicago Bears with as bad as they've been playing on the football field week in and week out. If the Jets can control the clock, if they can limit 
the Broncos' offense on the field and keep the chains moving, run the football. You don't need to do long plays downfield. You could do dink or dunk against the Bronco defense. Just move the clock, work the chains, and keep the ball in your hands and control the time of possession. I think the Jets could beat the Broncos. And don't forget, this is a revenge game. Sean Payton, the Bronco head coach, was very critical of Nathaniel Hackett, who had a dismal year at the head coaching position last year for the Denver Broncos. They were putrid. Hackett ended up getting fired. Then he comes and takes the offensive coordinator job to lead Aaron Rodgers and the Jets to what was going to be hopefully a Super Bowl appearance and a long one in waiting. It would have been for the Jet fan. They haven't seen one since the glory days of Joe Namath and Super Bowl three. It's going to be a revenge game for Nathaniel Hackett. And it's going to be a big game for Sean Payton trying to get his second consecutive win as the Denver Broncos head coach as he still tries to retool the quarterback and he tries to get the Broncos back to some winning success and he tries to get the fans optimistic that maybe the Shanahan and Elway error could come back to the Mile High City with Peyton and Wilson joining forces to bring the Broncos back to winning success. So that's where we stand with the two New York teams in the National Football League. And then you have other teams. You have the New England Patriots, where the NFL fan who has enjoyed watching New England Patriot football is left wondering if there's anything left in Bill Belichick's tank to get this team some winning success. He's won one playoff game without Tom Brady. Otherwise, he has been insignificant in the AFC with his New England Patriot football team. And you're really starting to wonder if his days could be numbered in New England. Mac Jones has been so inconsistent at the quarterback position. The Patriots have a rabid fan base. They've had a ton of winning success when Tom Brady and number 12 took to the football field week in and week out and led that team to victory after victory after victory, Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Well, when Brady left, he continued winning success with the Buccaneers. Belichick has done very little with the Patriots since Brady has walked out the door. And you have to wonder how short the leash is now for Bill Belichick. I don't think they're going to fire him. He's a Hall of Fame head coach. He's built a huge reputation in the National Football League. I do think he'll go out on his own terms, but the leash is getting shorter and shorter for the New England Patriots. When you think of Belichick, you think of their defense. Their defense seems to be readily prepared week in and week out. They weren't against the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys embarrassed New England. Belichick couldn't wait to get off the football field after that game. They'll get ready to play a Saints team this Sunday. They're at home. Hopefully, 
they can play some good football and come back and bounce back and win a key game in the AFC to keep themselves relevant. There's been some criticisms all week of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kenny Pickett, on again, off again, has some frustration with Matt Canada, the Steelers' offensive coordinator. Rumors are that this could be a signature game for Canada's tenure as offensive coordinator for the Steelers. It's going to be interesting to see how they come out and play. It's a rival game. They always play the Ravens tough. They always play close to the vest football games when they meet up against one another. But this is a statement game for the Steelers, for Kenny Pickett, who's expected to play, coming off of that injury last week. And they're going to have to go out here now, and they're going to have to find a way to win this rivalry game against the Ravens this weekend because it'll be a big game for them. And their offense has been suspect so far this season. And that would worry you as a Steeler fan. I think a few teams who've surprised me thus far early on in this NFL season, I think the Indianapolis Colts have played hard for first-year head coach Shane Steichen. If you're a Colts fan, you like what you've seen them do week in and week out thus far on the football field. We know Jonathan Taylor gets ready to return in uniform for the Colts. So the ground and pound attack with Taylor running the football will become very significant for week five action on the football field. So we got to hope that the Colts can continue striving for winning success this season. It looks like D'Amico Ryans may have turned the page with the Houston Texans, a Houston Texans franchise that has been going after a new head coach every season, hasn't seemed to really find the right mojo year in and year out with this team, hasn't seemed to find success since the Shaw Kubiak days back in the day with the Texans. Well, maybe D'Amico Ryans has that answer. Maybe D'Amico Ryans is slowly the right guy turn the tide for the Houston Texans. Because you like what you've seen out of this Texans football team the last two weeks. They've played tough. C.J. Stroud has done great at the quarterback position. They're putting up points. They don't find themselves committing too many penalties. They look more disciplined on the football field. And they've been fun to watch. So they will be an interesting storyline the rest of the way as the NFL season progresses. Then you have the Buffalo Bills who are traveling to London to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the NFL junkie will be treated to an extra game on the television set if you're so fortunate to get the NFL Network this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. as the Bills will take on the Jacksonville Jaguars who play their second international game in back-to-back weeks in the league where they play for pay. And the Bills look like a fine-tuned machine. They're coming off of that big win against the Dolphins. They've played good. They started off with that bad loss and a bad quarterback performance by Allen against the Jets in Week 1, but they have seemed to turn the page. They seem to be playing Bills football 
Stefan Diggs is contributing at the receiving core. The defense is doing what they need to do for 60 minutes on the football field. And Josh Allen is excelling again at the quarterback position. And anytime Josh Allen goes out there and excels at the quarterback position, you're in for a treat as a Bills fan because it's fun to watch Buffalo Bills football week in and week out. And Sean McDermott has been the right head coach for the Buffalo Bills. So the NFL season continues to chug along week in and week out. And one of the big signature games will be Sunday night as Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, and the Dallas Cowboys will go back to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers one of the best teams out of the NFC, and they need a huge game from Dak Prescott. They need their defense led by Micah Parsons to get a few turnovers, and they need to find a way to tame Brock Purdy and the 4-0 San Francisco 49ers, who are well coached by Kyle Shanahan, who could put up a lot of points. They come at you quick. They're very fast-paced physical team. They like to throw a lot of different tricks at you in a game. Cowboys are looking for revenge after that divisional round loss to the 49ers in the postseason last year, and they'll hope they can get that revenge Sunday night on NBC when Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth take to the microphones to broadcast Sunday Night Football. And listen, we know the Cowboys are a good team. The problem with the Cowboys is. They give you 12 or 13 wins every season, and then they get into the postseason, and they can't find a way to come over the hump and win a key game to get them to an NFC championship or a potential Super Bowl. So this is a big year for Mike McCarthy because he's calling the plays now. So it's his offense, it's his scheme, it's his game plan, and it's with the hope that Dak, can excel with McCarthy's game plan and get the Dallas Cowboys over the hump to be an eventual Super Bowl contender. They're close. They're close. But right now, that award still goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have a great offense. They got a great defense. We know they lost Jonathan Gannon, their defensive coordinator, and Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator. And we saw the first few weeks that those game plans last season by the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator weren't flourishing as well at the start of this season. Well, maybe the Eagles are starting to fine-tune that a little bit now. But they'll have a tough matchup against an L.A. Rams team who has exceeded expectations. Matthew Stafford's been doing well at the quarterback position. They got a good defense led by Aaron Donald. The Rams have been playing better football this season, coming off of a frustrating season last year. So there's a lot of key games that we hone in on this weekend and we pay attention to. None more significant than the Giants trying to bounce back to at least try and survive another week in this 2023 season by needing to get a key win in Miami, hoping that the Jets can progress from Wilson's play last Sunday night and bring that play to Denver 
and take on Sean Payton and Russell Wilson coming off of their first victory last week against the Bears. Do the Jets have enough stamina in them to compete for 60 minutes and get a big win? So a lot of key games to look at this Sunday as the NFL will move to week five and each game now the rest of the way becomes more and more important for these teams as we get closer to the winter months. Because as you start getting to week eight, week nine, and week 10, that's when you really start looking how these teams are positioning themselves for postseason play. And remember, in the NFL, being a one seed is key. Because if you can get home field advantage throughout, it significantly gives you a better chance to get to the Super Bowl. So being a higher seed is key in the National Football League. And when you think of the NFL, we had a legendary Hall of Famer, a Chicago Bear, Dick Buckus from 1965 to 1973, had an eight-year stint with the Bears. He passed away at the age of 80. Hall of Famer, one of the best players in his time. He competed to his highest ability every time he took to the football field. And listen, folks, when you think of Dick Buckus, you think of greatness. When you think of Dick Buckus as being a tough, tough competitor. And he was a tough competitor every time he took to the football field. So we mourn Dick Buckus on this evening's broadcast as he sadly passes away at the age of 80. And then the Bears last night go out and pay tribute to Dick Buckus on Amazon Prime for the nine of you that were probably able to watch it if you have a Prime subscription. And they went out there and Fields, their quarterback, had a big game through for 282 yards and four touchdowns. DJ Moore had 230 receiving yards, three touchdowns, and was targeted 10 times. And the Bears head coach, Matt Eberflus, had a good game plan and went on the road and beat a commander's team that has been on again, off again this season. A commander's team where you start to wonder if Ron Rivera's days could be numbered as head coach in Washington. New ownership, a new offensive coordinator in Eric Bieniemy, who comes over from the Kansas City Chiefs, an offensive coordinator who is just dying to be a head coach would be a great head coach with a good system in place for Sam Howell at the quarterback position. So you'd have to wonder if Eric Bieniemy is close to becoming the next head coach of the Commanders if they were to go out there and fire Ron Rivera. There's no excuses to lose the way they did last night to a Bears team that came in banged up, one of the worst teams in the NFL, hasn't been able to find their sea legs. And Justin Fields went out there last night and played competitive football, led his offense, and put up 40 points and finally got their first win of the 2023 season. So that's your NFL analysis on this evening's broadcast as you're listening to the Sports Buzz, passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is 
our daily motto. You're not going to get this on commercial radio. You're not going to get this on the satellite subscription that you got to go out there and pay for, but you're guaranteed to get it on the World Wide Web, and you're guaranteed to get it in podcast form, whether that's through Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you go for your daily audio craving. We're also live streaming tonight on Twitter Spaces, Clubhouse, YouTube, So if you want to talk to us on Twitter, just raise your hand. I'll bring you up to the stage. If you have any sports questions for me, feel free to join in on this evening's broadcast as it's Kevin Wolf coming to you live and solo from the great state of New Jersey as my broadcast partner Andy Loigu is MIA missing in action. You know, Andy's a hardcore sports fan and, you know, Andy likes to to relish in his team's success, whether it's the Eagles, whether it's the Phillies. He wears all the different paraphernalia for his respective teams that he roots for on a daily basis. And I think after last week's broadcast, I may have convinced him to become a New York Liberty fan. I may have convinced him that the WNBA is the way to go. I may have convinced Andy to start honing in on WNBA basketball. And something tells me that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, maybe he boarded a plane, checked in his luggage at a local airport, sat in first class, drank a little wine, had a few hors d'oeuvres, maybe an appetizer, and just maybe Andy Loigu went to go watch the New York Liberty as they get ready for the WNBA Finals this Sunday at 3 o'clock against the Vegas Aces. Maybe Andy Loigu, my broadcast partner, flew out to Vegas, maybe on a small jet. He could have left from Teterboro. Maybe he flew out of Newark International Airport. He's probably got his Vandersloot jersey on, his New York Liberty hat, because he loves to wear baseball hat, folks. And just maybe Andy is relishing in the WNBA. Maybe he's got courtside seats. Maybe he's hoping that he can get an autograph from Brianna Stewart. Just maybe, maybe, maybe Andy is enjoying some basketball, but who knows? He called me the other day and he said, I'm not going to be available for this week's broadcast. I have a prior commitment, but knowing Andy, it's probably sports related because he is one of the biggest sports junkies you will ever meet. Well, folks, the 162 game grueling baseball season has finally come to an end. If you're a Met fan, you had a stressful week. If you're a Yankee fan, you're left wondering what the future holds for a Bronx Bombers team that hasn't seen a World Series since 2009, for a team that finished this season only two games over 500 at 82-80. and You're left wondering if Brian Cashman will remain as the general manager. You're left wondering if Aaron Boone will return in 2024 as the guy in the dugout leading this team All indications are both men will return next season. But if you're a Yankee fan, you're eager to see where all of this goes as it wasn't a good year for New York Yankee baseball. 
and it was an even worse sir year for the New York Mets and the city of Queens as year in and year out, they just continue to become a laughing stock. They just continue to be the circus act that you want free admission to on a daily basis. Will they ever get out of their own way as a franchise? I will give you my thoughts on that. And much more. You're listening to the Sports Buzz. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. SportsBuzzShow1 at gmail.com. SportsBuzzShow, the number one at gmail.com is where you can reach me for any thoughts, feelings, or opinions you have about this particular broadcast or anything else happening in the world of sports. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk some postseason divisional round baseball later on we'll get into some college football we'll maybe dibble dabble in a few other areas of the sports world tonight plus i'll give you some live scores on the scoreboard as we have some college football currently taking place tonight some preseason hockey and a little bit of preseason basketball as the nba will get ready to ramp up at the end of the month with the start of their season The NHL season will get ready for another 82-game stretch, and we get ready for a busy fall and winter ahead in the sports world. I'm going to take a timeout. I'll be back right after this here on the Sports Buzz. Children in poverty, each one unique, each one full of dreams. They're our hope. Our future. They're the reason Children International exists. And even when the whole world changed, the things that mattered most to us stayed the same. Giving children the tools they need to set their own goals and create futures free from poverty. I have enough healthy food. I'm learning every day. I'm healthy and strong. We've developed new ways to reach children and families in poverty during these vulnerable times, ensuring they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more, so they can achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us at children.org slash help today. After I came home from Iraq, I could still hear the booms. Makes it hard to be a good mom. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. DAV helps veterans get the benefits they've earned. Thanks to DAV, I was able to begin to heal. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory is being able to be here for my children. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Yours truly, Kevin Wolf, coming to you live solo on this evening's broadcast from the great state of New Jersey as I chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. Spread the word. You're not going to get this on commercial radio. You're not going to get this on the Sirius Satellite subscription service that you got to go out there and pay for to get 
entertainment value, but you're guaranteed to get it on the World Wide Web. You're guaranteed to get it on YouTube, Twitter Spaces, Clubhouse, and in podcast form through Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you go for your daily audio craving as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports as my broadcast partner Andy Loigu is MIA on this week's edition of the Sports Buzz so we continue to chug along here and bring you entertainment at its finest as we just gave you some NFL analysis We will now shift gears and move on to baseball as the postseason has officially begun as the Twins, Diamondbacks, Rangers, and Phillies all advance to the divisional round of the 2023 baseball postseason. And I want to start out with the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins have been a fun team to watch. They got great starting pitching. They got a young core led by star Royce Lewis, who has bailed this team out time and time again this season. He had a home run in each of the two wild card games at Target Field in Minnesota to propel the Twins on to the divisional round in a matchup with Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros, a team that has that been-there-done-that attitude, a team that will come into this series with their ace, Justin Verlander, looking to get back to another World Series, with Dusty Baker looking to repeat as manager. We know they got Altuve. We know they got Bregman. We know they got a lot of key assets there that have been there for the last several years and that have made a big impact on this team. And the Astros now will try to bring that postseason experience and postseason winning success to the Diamond as they take on a Twins team that hasn't seen a ton of postseason success, that hasn't experienced a lot of winning in the month of October. And the Twins have been a fun team to watch led by veteran Carlos Correa, and then younger guys like Royce Lewis. They got a good bullpen. They got some good young pitchers. We know what Sonny Gray can do. He can give you a good six innings on the mound. They got a deep bullpen. They don't put up a lot of runs, but they've been playing fundamentally sound for Rocco Baldelli. So the Minnesota Twins come into this series with the underdog mentality. And sometimes the underdog could steal the show and get to the fall classic when all is said and done. In the playoffs, anything can happen. We know the Braves enter as the best team in the sport. Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna, Ozzie Albies. Great pitching led by Spencer Strider. A good manager in Brian Schnitger. A bullpen that shows up in late innings, a closer that's lights out. The Braves are an elite this season in the sport of baseball, and they will be an extremely tough out. But they're taking on a Phillies team who found themselves in this exact position last year in the divisional round, 
and ended up beating the Braves. The Braves will try and learn from that early postseason exit last year and will hopefully try and find a way to beat a pesky Phillies team led by Reese Hoskins, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, and the key significant offensive catalysts that make this team tick on a daily basis. So let's go out now to Twitter spaces, as I believe we have somebody joining us on this evening's broadcast. Hello, you're on the Sports Buzz. How you doing, Kevin? I am doing well. How are you? Are you enjoying the show tonight? I'm enjoying it so far. I will tell you this right now, uh, that the Braves will overcome last year's deficiencies and will win that series in four or five games. They are clearly the better team. They learned from their mistakes last year. And uh, don't get caught up in you know last year's result because this is a new season. Well, listen, we know the Braves are a good team, and I do think they've learned their lesson, and they've been an extremely tough out through 162 games this season. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they approach this upcoming divisional round series. But the Phillies, listen, we saw the role they were on last postseason, and we saw them beat the Cardinals in two games, then play the Atlanta Braves and solve them and win their series against the Braves, then play a tough San Diego Padres team, but end up winning the NLCS to march their way all the way to a World Series. And I get they didn't go out there and ultimately win the prize of getting a World Series trophy, but they showed you that they are a top-tier baseball team, and if I am the Atlanta Braves, I know how good I was this year, but I'm a little concerned going into this postseason knowing that the Phillies come in with a lot of experience and has just the same amount of equal pieces offensively that the Braves have where they can go back and forth with one another for nine innings. Yeah, I just think Strider at game one, if they look at the pitching matchup in game one, it clearly favors the uh, the Braves. And, you know, they're going to get some momentum. They're going to build some momentum up. They're going to win the two there. Maybe the Phillies get one in Atlanta. Um, you get one in Phillies at home. And then back to uh, Atlanta, they'll, they'll close them out. So I kind of like the uh, the Phillies in that. And I, I also like, I mean, uh, the Braves in that. And I also like the Dodgers. I think you're going to see Dodgers and Braves in the NLCS. Well, yeah, I've been saying that for the last month or so that I think when all is said and done, the Braves and the Dodgers are going to play one another in what will be a classic NLCS. Freddie Freeman going up against his former team, Mookie Betts, and the great home run catalyst that he could be with the bat in the Dodger lineup with the offensive output that he has. That will be a classic series against two very good teams. The fact that the Braves have home field advantage, the fact that the Braves were the best team in the sport the fact that the Braves have just all the pieces there right now including a fantastic bullpen and guys that can get you through nine innings every time they take to the mound with great starting pitching 
uh, mid-game relief and the closing role, I think the Braves right now would be the favorite to get to a World Series when all is said and done. And if there's one team that could go out there and go toe-to-toe with them, it could probably be the LA Dodgers. And if they were to meet up in an NLCS, I do think it would be a seven-game series. But I would give the Braves the advantage with the home field at True East Park with the extra game. Excellent analysis, uh, Kevin. I, I couldn't agree more. I will tell you, I enjoy uh, listening to people from the Northeast. I'm a big UConn guy. I can't wait for basketball season as I'm a Giant fan. I was a Met fan, and it looks like the sophomore jinx is set in to Brian Dable, just like it said it to Buck Showalter. It seems to me like Mr. Dable has lost the Giants, uh, not to switch gears on on the team here, not to switch Not gears a problem. You called into tonight's show. The floor is yours, whatever you want to talk about. It is a football Friday, and uh, I do think the Giants are in big trouble uh, this year. Uh, unfortunately, they had an easy schedule last year, and it's coming back to haunt them this year, and the offensive line is broken, and I don't know. What do you think? The fundamentals aren't there. I said the last uh, month, month and a half, prior to the start of this season that I hope last season wasn't a fluke. I may end up being right on that when all is said and done. It doesn't seem like the preparedness is there. There's a lack of focus. I don't think Daniel Jones is a big-time quarterback. I don't think he was worth $44 million when the Giants signed him for that in the offseason. I get Barkley was hurt the last game, but the idea that the Giants are going to go out there on extra rest and embarrass themselves on national TV the way they did Monday night there's no excuses for it the defense hasn't shown up they haven't been able to create the turnover like they were so fortunate of doing last year and they just haven't had that same mojo and spark that they had last season and the idea now that Brian Dable's going to go out there and throw a clipboard on the bench acting like he's Bill Belichick and angry to the nth degree I get you're frustrated but where were you all week preparing for this matchup Where were you when your team went out there and looked at film and when you gathered around with your coaches to game plan for the Seattle Seahawks? They got a vicious defense. Witherspoon showed up as the rookie that he is defensively and showed why he's a vital force for Pete Carroll's defense, and Seattle came ready to play. And any time you play a Pete Carroll coach team, they're going to be ready to go. They're going to play hard for 60 minutes, and they're going to go out there and find a game plan plan that's going to work to beat your star players on the other side and the Giants had nothing in the gas tank on Monday night they couldn't do anything offensively the defense didn't show up they got a meager three points when all was said and done and there's a lot of lessons to be learned and having to go out there now and play the Dolphins this week and the Bills next week I think you could pretty much write off the 2023 season as being an epic failure for the New York football Giants Wow. Yeah. As we peel back the onion, so to speak, uh, I agree a thousand percent. Uh, obviously the giants were not ready for any of the four games they played. They've played two, per, two quarters of football out of 16 this year. Uh, they've looked terrible. They've looked poorly managed, poorly coached, particularly more so on offense, believe it or not. I know the defense hasn't done their job. They've got no playmakers on defense. Thibodeau almost made a play in the last game 
almost, but it's only good in horseshoes and hand grenades where he almost picked that off solo handedly and took it to the house would have been a big play for the defense. Look for the defense to try to make a play against Tua. I, I do think that the way the Dolphins looked last week and the way the Giants have played, I think the Giants will show up this week. The NFL is week to week. Things change. I think the Mara family and the Tishes and the people above Mr. Mr. Dable are going to be reading the riot act to the coach that, you know, uh, you know, get your team prepared. Like you said, get them ready to play football. I mean, this has been, I have to be honest. I went to the Dallas game. I have season tickets, uh, Kevin. I went, to I the was Dallas there game. too. I left at halftime. It was a uh, atrocious game. Something. I was, I was the first one to leave. Uh, I'm sure of that I left after one quarter. I had seen enough. It was pouring rain, and Dallas fans were celebrating already at 16. Well, I got to tell I, you something too. The idea that Evan Neal is going to go out there and mock the fans for booing, I would have booed that team through the entire four quarters on Monday night. Does Evan Neal not realize that the New York sport fan? puts their team front and center every day that they go out there and watch their respective team, whether it's in baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you name it. Does he not realize that the New York sports fan is passionate? Does he not realize that these giant fans are season ticket holders, a majority of them, and pay a ton of money for the seat licenses and everything, and he's going to go out there and mouth off about the fans? Why doesn't he show up and play one game? Why doesn't he show up and prove what he's worth and the idea that you're going to degrade the giant fan as being a fan that that works as flipping hot dogs and hamburgers that is as low as low can get and i get he went back on social media and apologized but you know what you can make all the money you want in this world you have one job to do that's go out there and try to win your team a football game and maybe if you won your team a football game and showed up and looked like a legit nfl team that you belong on the professional level, maybe the fans would respect you for that. So I think Evan Neal needs to look in the mirror and really look at what this team has done thus far this season and get an understanding of why the fan is as disgruntled as they are. That is an excellent point, sir. That is an excellent point. That is spot on. And, you know, unfortunately, Evan's going to learn the hard way that this is not Alabama. This is not the Midwest or whatever they're they're located in the South. This is New York. You can't fool us, us giant fans, especially who have suffered now through. We're going on eight seasons where we haven't really done much. Um, this is the eighth season since since we had the uh, McAdoo. Then we had Shermer. Listen, the hardship for the New York Giants began when Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning exited the facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and never looked back. That's well, when the Giants' true, demise you know began. And also the giant ownership. I mean, having David Gettleman run your ball club and picking the drafts the way they have it, he really put us, set us back several years. Oh, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, Shane came in and, and, you know, I think these guys read their press clippings in the offseason, how great they are, because the, the second half of last year, there were fans that I know very closely. They didn't think that uh, that Dable even deserved to be coached there last year. So and because of the way they finished. Uh, and so. They really haven't beaten any good teams. They don't have really any quality wins. I wouldn't put Minnesota as a quality win on the road in the playoffs, beating uh, Kirk Cousins. That you know, that's not really a quality win. Where they were and where they were last year, where they came from and where they were, Dable did a great job. But when you take this many steps back and you look like a lousy, lousy, unprepared football team after four weeks, 
Well, let me tell you something. It's not going to get any easier for, for, for Dable with the fans and with the, with the media and also with the head office there, with the executives. They're not going to stand for this. So I truly believe they're going to put forth their very best effort Sunday as a fan. I think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they're going to play hard enough in the next couple of games, lose both of them. They're going to have to start going on a win streak against the commanders and, and turn their season around. But being 1-5 and five to start the year, it's not a very good look. And the way they have started one and five, truly ugly. I mean, Daniel Jones has regressed big time, and that's on the head coach, the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator. They got to have playmakers on both sides of the ball. And when you take Saquon out of that on offense and you don't have a defensive playmaker, you know, you're not going to be very good. So I blame I blame the GM as much as the head coach. And listen, the heat's going to be on these guys. I, I don't think no matter what happens, unless they go two and fifteen. I think they're going to keep these guys another year, but if there's not progress made, like, you know, big-time progress, they, they draft someone or they, they do something special, they're going to be in big trouble. Their jobs are going to be in jeopardy soon. Well, I think Dable will definitely be back another year. I do not think his season is limited to just this season. I do think he'll be back. I think that there's a long-term picture here with the New York Giants, and I think that they showed you last year that when you have all the pieces in place, you can go out there and win. You can be a dominant team. Listen, I've never been a big believer in Daniel Jones since he's come here. I've never felt like he was the right quarterback to lead this team week in and week out. I I still don't. A lot of people and a lot of sports junkies and purists who have spoken to me over the last several years and months concerning Daniel Jones have thought I've been crazy for that logic, but I'm just not a Jones guy. I haven't bought into the guy. I, I don't think he's a fit yeah. for this team. And he's listen, a quarterback, not a running back. He's a quarterback, but I don't think he's got great throwing ability. I think he's got accuracy but I'm problems. He's a good runner. He's not a quarterback. No, he, he is. He's a better quarterback. He does. And and I think that you need the right system there. And I don't think Dable and Kafka have been able to find that system this year to make him thrive. No, they haven't. They haven't. And uh, I do think the Giants are going to play a better game, their best game of the year on Sunday for some I don't know I just... about that. Miami's extremely tough. They have a very tough offensive scheme to defend. And I can't see the Giants, who have been mediocre to say the least through the first four weeks of this season, going out there and playing a great game against the Dolphins team, who has just been unstoppable. I get they lost to the Bills. The Bills were just as evenly matched or maybe a tiny bit better than the Dolphins on paper entering that game, but the Dolphins put up 70 points on the Broncos. They put up 36 points on the Chargers in week one. They played a great game in week two, so they've put up points week in and week out on the scoreboard, and I don't think the Giants have done enough defensively to tell me that they're going to find a way to solve Tua Tungavailoa and that high-octane Dolphin our offense. Has, our defense last week did play better. Uh, against Seattle. I know they, you know, I don't know where, why, you know, I just think our defense played a lot better than we're giving it credit for last yeah, week. Yeah, but they um, missed a lot of tackles. They allowed Seattle uh, to run the football. The ground and pound attack point. was there working. Was some, there were some definitely some mental mistakes, but the scheme, play calling by Wink and the scheme was better than I've seen against like, you know, compared to the offense, for example. Um, you know, the offense made zero adjustments, zero adjustments. I mean, just pathetic. 
It was pathetic. And the special teams made six penalties. Listen, the Giants better play better soon. Ownership doesn't like when the last two home games don't mean anything. And if that's the case, I'm telling you, what would make Dable's career any different than than uh, Ben McAdoo's? Ben McAdoo made the playoffs his first year. Yeah, he lost that game, but the next year he didn't make the playoffs. He finished with, what, four or five wins or three wins, got fired, and they went in another direction. Listen, the Giants are not stupid, man. It's 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 make or break for these guys. they got to show progress, too. Listen, they make they're playing the Dolphins this week. Then they're playing the Bills. They still have the Jets. They still have the Raiders in Vegas. They still got to go to Dallas. They still have to play the Commanders twice. They play the Patriots. They play the Packers. They play the Rams. This schedule is one of the toughest I've seen the rest of the way for many teams out of the yeah, NFL. Huh? And I'm not optimistic at all. And listen, I love your passion towards the New York football giants. I like some of the points you brought brought up on this evening's broadcast, but Dallas bludgeoned them and put 40 points on the board. The 49ers put 30 points on the board. The Seahawks put 24 points on the board. Yeah, the Cardinals put up the, 28. Ten of those were from the offense. Ten of those were from the offense. Yeah, but but you're yeah, but to me that doesn't tell me they've had a good defensive performance the last four weeks. Again, I just have a gut feeling about this game Sunday. I mean, the spread is eleven points, and I think the Dolphins are going to win the game by maybe fourteen points. Okay, what I'm saying is, I think that for one week, I think they'll they'll show up, and you know, they might even get a backdoor cover type of thing. Like, I don't think the Giants will ever be in the game. They're zero and four against the spread, and also one and three. With the record, well, listen. If they want to salvage this season, the next two weeks are vital to salvage the season. If they They don't win the next two weeks, it's over. Got to beat one of them, and I think if they're going to beat one of them, I think they got a better shot at beating Miami down in Miami because there'll be Giant fans down there. You know, there's Prince Land and New Yorkers in Florida, but there won't be too many Giant fans up in Buffalo. And Buffalo certainly is a better home team than Miami is historically. They play well up there in Orchard Park. Buffalo. Look what they did to the Dolphins last week. I just don't see the Giants having any shot next week. I see them having a better shot against Miami. Maybe, you know, keeping it closer, pulling off what what would be a huge upset on Sunday. I don't know why I do. If they have Barkley back, is Barkley playing? He's questionable. If he's out, they have no shot. I mean, I don't understand what's going on there. Guys are going to go down injured. They don't want to play for this guy. Maybe there's a problem with Dable that we don't even know about. Like, I don't know. I just think the Giants have, like, turned the corner. I think he was so consumed with himself and hearing the the being coach of the year that it affected his brain. I mean, Yeah, but don't forget, last year, that was one of the best coaching staffs in the league. They game-planned for every team they played last season meticulously week in and week out. So to go from 9-7-1... And try to advance off of that into year two and be anything but what you were last season is head scratching to say the least. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few weeks. I have to just say one other thing about last game that bothered me to no end. It's 0 0, right? You're in field goal range to start the game. How about taking the damn lead in the game? Kick the damn field goal. Bring Gano out. He's like money in the bank. Let him kick the field goal. Go up 3 nothing and play defense. Take control. Get a lead. 
get a lead. Yeah, I don't understand why Dable went for it on that fourth down either. You knew the Seahawks were ready for that fourth down stance. They did what they had to do defensively. Listen, a lot of these coaches who want to gamble when they have a chance to put three points on the board and don't get it definitely deserve to be questioned in post-game because that's just head-scratching. If you have a chance to go out there and garner the momentum by putting three points on the board, have your field goal kicker go out there and do his job and get you the three points. Kevin, and then after the game, he's asked about it, and this is what bothers me. And he says, I would do it again in a heartbeat. That shows you all you need to know about this guy. I don't like him. I don't, I've grown not to like him. I loved him last year and I had defended him because don't forget, they're 5 10 and 1 under him in the last 16 games. 5 10 and 1. 5 10 and 1. Well, you know what, though? I, I question the ownership too. And I, and I have some grievances with John Mara also because I think his observance of what he's looking for in a head coach, whether it was Ben McAdoo, whether it was the clown act of Joe Judge, uh, Pat Shermer, and the failure he was, you know, the guy just hasn't been able to go out there and find the right guy that's going to be the savior for this team. And I get Dable retooled out. Allen in Buffalo, and I get they liked a lot of what he's seen as an offensive coordinator in Buffalo and what he made out of out of Josh Allen up there. But really, I am not happy with uh, the ownership of the New York Giants, and I really don't think they've done a good job over the last eight or nine years to really find the right guy, the, the right personnel to lead this team for long-term success on the sideline. And I think that Mara is really going to have to take a step back if this season ends up not working out the way he anticipates it working out. And he's going to have to wonder what he needs to do to start finding the right person that he can gel with to get this team back on a winning page. Because listen, you look at Parcells and his glory days with the Giants, and you look at what Coughlin did with Eli Manning at the quarterback position and the two Super Bowl victories against New England, that was the type of giant leadership you needed at that time to get this team to winning success year in and year out. Those were the right guys to lead this team. Are you a Mets fan? Did you have to ask me that? <laughs> I am a Met fan. I'm a depressed Met fan. I'm an aggravated Met fan. I'm a Met fan who wonders when the team will finally get on the right track. You know, when Wilpon sold this team to Steve Cohen, I wanted to be optimistic. I wanted to be excited. I wanted to go out there and jump for joy. And they did Buck Showalter dirty earlier this week when they decided to let him go and move on from him at the managerial position. And listen, Steve Cohen's owned this team now for three years. He promised the fan base that he would get the Mets a World Series title. And the Mets fan has a lot of disgusted feelings towards him right now because to me, he hasn't exceeded expectations at the ownership level. It's been an utter failure with this team. Buck Showalter has veteran managerial experience under his belt. He's a future Hall of Fame manager. He's the right guy to lead this team. The idea that you're going to allow your GM, who was inept to say the least, and Billy Epler, tell this man that he's not welcome back for the 
2024 season because a new regime with David Stearns is coming in to take over for the vice president of baseball operations is downright disgraceful. Any team would be fortunate to have Buck Showalter in the dugout. And I think Buck was deserving to finish out his contract, his final year of his three-year deal. I think David Stearns should have given him that opportunity. The players liked Buck. He had a great rapport with the media. He was the right guy at the right time for this team and what bothered me was Steve Cohen went out there two years ago when he hired Billy Epler to be the GM and told Billy Epler I think we should hire Buck Showalter as our manager and now all of a sudden he becomes best pals with David Stearns and allows David Stearns to tell him to get rid of Buck Showalter after he was the guy who wanted him here from day one I'm not too thrilled with Cohen right now all right let me interject I love your passion, Kevin, for the Mets. I, I think you're you're right about a lot. I, I'm glad I met you tonight because two things. One, on July 28th, when the news broke that the Mets were getting rid of Robertson, trading him for, for two pimple-faced prospects on July 28th, uh, I got fed up. I called the WFAN up. I'm a local guy. I call in. I got on the fan, and I said, you got to be kidding me. How do you quit? Winners never quit. Quitters never win. How do you quit on your players on July 28th? First of all, it's not even the trade deadline. You still got four more games or whatever. Secondly, you're getting rid of your best pitcher. So basically, you're throwing in the towel. I said, you can't do that in this in this market. So I was fed up. Well, I would have I would have fired Epler right then and there because the idea that you go out there and you get Verlander to replace Degrom, you bring in Max Scherzer who ended up being a crybaby and had a ton of attitude problems and didn't seem to gel with many of his former teammates that he would go out there and. Uh, play with on a daily basis you know Scherzer just I had a bad vibe with Scherzer and things seemed to go belly up after DeGrom left the team trade at the deadline get rid of Scherzer and that's it, you know. Get but the idea that you're going to go out there and well, you're going to you get quitting with forty percent yeah, of your games left. Yeah, hey, come on. Man. And the thing is, Robertson was doing well for them. He was the so, he Nessler was the placeholder for Diaz. See, I thought when I watched the Mets play, and this goes back to last September, actually, when they called up a, a, a kid that had never taken an at bat in the majors for the biggest series of the year and went zero for eight. That would be Alvarez, who turns out to be obviously a, a top talent now and will be a top talent for many years, I think. But when he Got called up last September in a, in what was what we needed to be an offense. Uh, I thought that was where the where Buck started to lose the team. In other words, the effort started to take over. Look at the trade deadlines. He traded for Ruff and uh, and and Vogel back, and both of them stink. So Inepler is the guy who ruined the Mets. Really, I agree with you there. But let me just go back to Buck for a minute. I think Buck, when he was told what to do last year, and he was told to be more analytical this year, that's when Buck should have said, you know what, our philosophies don't match, I'm out of here. And the negative for for the Mets and watching them day in and day out for two years, and this is a big negative actually, is when the Mets got hit, they didn't retaliate. Their pitchers never retaliated. They didn't have any 86 in them. And that's a reflection on Buck's personality. And so that's a problem. That's a problem. I'll let you answer that one first. 
No, I, I definitely agree with you on that. But listen, I'd rather have an old school purebred manager in the dugout than an analytics guy any day of the week because 100%, analytics. And that's why I'm rooting for Bruce Bochy in the American Yes, League. analytics yes. has ruined the sport. Look at what that dumb manager John Schneider did with the Blue Jays in the second game against the Twins in a game he needed when he takes Berrios out in the fourth inning with 47 pitches <laughs> under his belt. The guy is hurling and pitching lights out. His fastball was great. His sinker was finding the strikes zone. He was on his game Barrios. You take him out, you go to your bullpen in a must-win situation because you're going by analytics and not what your gut tells let you them, you should do. Let them manage their teams. 100%. 1,000%, Kevin. You and I agree on that. And that's where I'm going with this conversation is that I think Buck was a victim of baseball, how it is today. But I also question the history of Buck Showalter in that he gets the team to a certain level and then he can't take him over the top. And that's a fact. You can't argue Well, listen, that. every team he's left, they've gone on to the playoffs the next season after yeah. he wasn't manager in now, the dugout. I don't dugout. Know if they're going to go on to the playoffs this year. No. I mean, it all depends what they do. But, I mean, I don't want Otani. Here's my argument against Otani, why I don't want him. How did Anaheim do with him? Did he lift up his teammates? Did he help the team win? No. So the Mets could do the same thing. They could bring him in. They could lose just as well without him, right? Or win with you no. Know but he's saying. he's so, a superstar on the diamond. You can't take that away from well, him when all is said and done. I'd rather have them re-sign Alonso to a lifetime deal than bring in someone else. Well, I'll tell you right my, now, we got to keep our fingers crossed with that because anybody that signs up with Scott Boris and gets involved with his agency, it's got trouble written all over it. And the Cubs are big time bitters now on the Pete Alonso you know bandwagon. You know why Alonso did that? Because they flirted out the idea that they might have traded him at the deadline. So he said, you know what? I'm going to get Boris. And Nimmo got Boris and, Bo- and Nimmo signed. So... Don't think that it's it's definitely no, and and the one thing we know is Steve Cohen has a ton of money, so he will be the highest bidder to offer Alonzo what he wants when all is said and done. Listen, if I'm the Mets, I give Alonzo an eight year deal. I make him the captain, the way the Yankees did for Aaron Judge, and I build around Pete Alonzo. He's guaranteed to give you forty something home runs every season through 162 games. He's a stud. He fits well with New York. He's got a good personality with the fan base and the media. He's the perfect guy in a Met uniform. He will be one of their main focal points this offseason, but they also got to go out there and get pitching. You can't win without pitching. I like what I saw from Senga this season. I think you can move him up to the two spot of the rotation. I think he's clearly made that statement that he's capable of being a high-end, top-tier pitcher in the major leagues. We know that the Mets pitching staff right now has a lot of question marks and we don't have Verlander anymore. We don't have Scherzer. We got to get some top tier guys here that can pitch for us. You're right on with all that, man. That's an excellent analysis. And, uh, I agree with everything you said, particularly about Alonzo. I mean, we got to sign him. We got to get Pete back. We got to sign him long-term and we, you know, he is in contract for another year and we got to just keep grinding him out and, and hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll come back to the Mets and he, you know, he'll be a, a Met for, for a long time and, uh, and be the captain, like you said, and set all kinds of records and be a, a lifetime Met. You know, we only had one lifetime Met and that was David Wright in the last 30 years, it seems. Everyone else we trade. Everyone that's good, we trade, you know. I want a GM that knows what they're doing coming in here. I need a GM. I think Stern should really be the, just the GM. 
them. I think they should just make him in charge of doing everything. You know, well, they're going to make him in charge of the whole outfit. He seems to me like he would fit the mold to be the VP and the GM. I don't know why you'd have to bring in a GM and then bring in a manager. I think no. I think they should put him on the spot. He should be the general manager and vice president of baseball operations. Then bring in someone else to handle the business side of the baseball team. They need to put Stearns on the hook for picking the manager. And if it's Craig Council, it's Craig Council. I mean, you look at his record in a small market. The guy's done pretty well. He's got a winning record. He hasn't yeah, but he hasn't season. won in the postseason. He's he's huge with the analytics. And listen, all leading indications, if you put the pieces together in this puzzle, would be that Craig Council would come and be the manager, but he is from Wisconsin. His family loves it out there. His father had ties to the Brewers, so you don't know how much of that is going to play into a decision in coming back. His final press conference the other day seemed to tell me that he may be looking to leave the Brewers with some of the responses he had to the media, but to me, you only fire Buck Showalter if you know you're guaranteed to get counsel to run this team and manage this team in the dugout. Baseball teams don't need so much analytics. They should be able to take the information, use what they want, not use what they don't want. And when it's going well, like it was for Buck last year, don't bring him a kid from the minors in a big spot and make him play him. Don't tell him he's got to play Vogue. I have a lot of disrespect for the Met organization. I put more blame on an Epler, and I was happy that he got whacked. And the only reason he got fired was because of this investigation of all yeah, things. Yeah, but, but here's it the thing. Because uh, he's a manager in baseball is supposed to go out there and get his team readily prepared to play day in and day out. He's supposed to make the decisions of who he wants to come in from the bullpen, who he wants to start in the lineup that day. So the idea that the general manager is going to call the manager and cause friction because the manager doesn't want to start a guy in Vogelback who was useless from an offensive perspective with this team and didn't contribute at all. I think his batting average was in the low 200s for a majority of the season this year. And the idea that you're going to cause friction, you hired Buck to manage your team. So let him manage. There's a lot of people like you and me, Kevin, that don't like this. I think the manager should be able to make up his lineup. Okay, period. By the way, back to Steve Cohen for a minute. I said he's treating his team like his players like their stocks. He's hedging against some players, and he's he's treating the players like they're like they're hedge funds or stocks in a company, and we're going to sell this one and buy back that one and do this. You can't treat people like that. So as much as they they raved about how Steve Cohen's been great with the old timers and this and that, his actions the last three years as an owner, he leaves a lot to be desired. Then the team got in trouble for for putting people on the IL, like like he's under investigation. He got a fine by the SEC. Listen, he's no angel, and he's got a lot of money, but you know what? Money can't buy wins, and money can't buy happiness for your fan base. And unfortunately, on July 28th, he lost a lot of his fan base. Listen, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with this team. The Met fan is left scratching their head. It's like Wilpon 2.0 all over again. We have to hope that this offseason is good to them. We have to hope that they make some decisions now to retool this team and that David Stearns can get a guy in here that can manage this team. And they got to focus on getting some top-tier pitchers, and they got to focus on Pete Alonzo. If they can do that and they can get Alonzo signed and get a few big-name pitchers in here, then I think we may 
may be on the road to recovery with this team and back to some winning success. I thank you for your phone call tonight. Please spread the word. Thanks for taking my call and listening, Kevin. I appreciate it. I'm going to stay on and listen to the rest. Well, we thank our caller here to this evening's broadcast. If you want to join in on the conversation, feel free to do so. I'll bring you up to the stage and you could chat with me about what's happening in the world of sports as you're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf minus Andy Loigu, my broadcast partner, who is MIA. Boy, I wonder where Andy went this weekend. Did he go out to Vegas to root on the New York Liberty as the New York Liberty for the first time in 21 years find their way to the WNBA Finals as they've been a great watch for the Women's National Basketball Association as they've become front and center at Barclays Center with talented play on the hardwood. And I realize it's not a popular sport. I realize a lot of the regular sports junkies who listen to sports talk on a daily basis may not hone in on the WNBA, but I think the New York Liberty are going to go out there. I think they're going to put up a competitive fight, and I think they're going to try and win the WNBA finals. They've got some good players. They've got some great shooting ability. They've done a lot this season. Uh, I mean, look at what Brianna Smart's done by herself to be a leader of this team. So they will try and go out there and fend off the Vegas Aces who will look for their second consecutive WNBA Finals trophy. So maybe Andy bought the jersey. Maybe he bought the hat. Maybe he bought the tickets. Maybe he got on his little Embraer jet over at Teterboro Airport or in Philadelphia or down in Ocean County somewhere. And maybe he just flew to Vegas and we'll have some interesting storylines for us when he comes back next week. Or who knows? He could be wondering what the Eagles have in store against the Rams. He could be wondering if his Phillies are going to get back to a World Series. It'll be very interesting to see how the adventures of Andy Loigu went this week as he is MIA on this evening's broadcast and finishing up on the baseball as we were discussing divisional round play as it all begins tomorrow. The first game is at 1 o'clock as Bruce Bochy and the Texas Rangers, who finished with a 90-72 and record, will get ready to take on a Baltimore Orioles team, a young Orioles team, winners of the AL East, an Orioles team that plays very tough for skipper Brandon Hyde, and an Orioles team who comes into this postseason raring to go with a fan base that is yearning for postseason success and Camden Yards will be electric tomorrow afternoon as these two teams get ready to battle as the stage is set for divisional play and it'll begin with the Texas Rangers and the Baltimore Orioles and then we will be so fortunate that we will get to watch at 4.45 tomorrow on FS1, if you can find it, Minnesota at Houston. We know the Astros experience. We know they got a lot of top-tier players. We know they got a great pitching staff led by Justin Verlander. We know they're going to go out there and they're going to play a tough nine innings of baseball. They had a good start to the season. Then after the All-Star break, they lost a lot of key series that they should have won, and they found themselves in the final weekend crowning themselves 
AL West champs, and they will take on a tough, young, pesky Minnesota Twins team, a Minnesota Twins team that has had great play from veteran Carlos Correa, who is a great offensive athlete with the bat, but he's also a good defensive guy on the diamond whenever he puts on a Twins uniform. And really, the Minnesota Twins star, Royce Lewis, he has been the fun uh, player that we all come to adore for the Minnesota Twins as he has just been fun to watch. So the Minnesota Twins will put up a tough fight against the Houston Astros for Game 2. And then the third game, 6 p.m. on TBS. Now, the fact that they're starting this game at 6 p.m. instead of 7 p.m. makes no sense to me at all. I get you got college football all day tomorrow, but why would you start the Phillies-Atlanta game on TBS at 6 p.m.? I mean, you could have started it at 7 and given the chance for the Twins and Astros game to end before the start of the Philly-Atlanta game, but baseball didn't decide to do that, so that game will begin at 6 o'clock on TBS tomorrow, and the pitchers that will be battling one another in that game will be... Suarez for the Phillies and Spencer Strider, the ace, will tow the slab for the Atlanta Braves. This will be a great series. We know Atlanta lost to the Phillies in the divisional round last year. I think Atlanta will find a way to beat the Phillies this year and propel themselves to an NLCS matchup against the LA Dodgers as they take on NL West rival the Arizona Diamondbacks who finished at 84 and 78. They battled the Brewers the last two games. The Bats woke up. They had some great offensive output and the Diamondbacks were fun to watch, but I think this will be a tough task for the Arizona Diamondbacks taking on the LA Dodgers. The LA Dodgers got great pitching led by Clayton Kershaw. He will be raring to go he's got a lot of great postseason success and I don't think the Diamondbacks have enough to tame the Dodgers offense I've said all year that I think it's going to be a Braves Dodgers NLCS I'm sticking to that on this evening's broadcast and in the American League I'm really high on the Orioles and as great of a storyline as they'll be in the American League of vying to try and get to a World Series You know, Bruce Bochy is so good in the dugout when it comes to making great decisions in postseason play that this is going to be a very, very tough series. Bradish pitching tomorrow against Haney for the Rangers. Scherzer has done some pitching on the mound, so he may be ready to go in this series for the Rangers. The Rangers will need him in the worst way to try and go out there and pitch in this series if they want a shot at beating the Orioles, so that'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a good series. I give the advantage to the Rangers at the manager's position. I think Bochi can outduel Brandon Hyde from a managerial perspective and an experienced perspective. And I think this series will be classic. I think it'll go five games. I want to see the Orioles win, but I can't go against Bruce Bochi. Something tells me the Rangers are probably going to win this series. And then the Twins, I think they're going to be pesky. The Astros come in with the experience factor. 
They got a lot of key veterans led by Justin Verlander. The Twins are young. I think the Twins could beat them and play spoiler in this postseason and maybe get to an ALCS. So we are set up for four great matchups on the diamond in the sport of baseball. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'll talk a little bit of college football. We'll give you our weekly NFL picks, and we'll wrap up this evening's solo edition with yours truly, Kevin Wolf of the Sports Buzz, right after these messages. Did you know there are laws in the U.S. that protect the safety and pay of farm workers? To learn more, call 866-4-US-WAGE. That's 866-4-US-WAGE or visit worker.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Labor. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. Children in poverty. Each one unique. Each one full of dreams. They're our hope, our future. They're the reason Children International exists. And even when the whole world changed, the things that mattered most to us stayed the same. Giving children the tools they need to set their own goals and create futures free from poverty. I have enough healthy food. I'm learning every day. I'm healthy and strong. We've developed new ways to reach children and families in poverty during these vulnerable times, ensuring they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more, so they can achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us at children.org help today. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz, passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto as I welcome everybody watching on YouTube into this evening's edition of the Sports Buzz or if you're listening on Twitter Spaces, Clubhouse or Playback through Apple, Spotify, Google. Welcome one and all as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports as I come to you live from the great state of New Jersey on this evening's broadcast. You're not going to get this on commercial radio, but you're guaranteed to get it on the World Wide Web and you're guaranteed to get hardcore, thought-provoking, passionate sports talk every time me and my broadcast partner Andy Loigu come to the microphones to chat with you about what's happening in the world of sports. So we gave you some NFL analysis. We spoke about some of the baseball postseason as the divisional round will begin tomorrow. We'll now segue over to 
College football as week six has begun on the NCAA side of things, and there's a few games taking place tonight. Currently, Kansas State and Oklahoma State are battling in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes to play. Oak State leads 29-15. to Kansas State is 3-1. Oklahoma State is 2-2. Two two. A battle of the Big 12 Conference taking place currently tonight with a little over nine minutes to play. Oklahoma State has a 29-15 lead over Kansas State. And the Nebraska Cornhuskers at 2-3. They're 0-2 in Big Ten Conference play. They're leading Illinois 17-7 as their quarterback, Altmeyer has 177 yards and one touchdown for the Illinois fighting alumni. And the Nebraska quarterback, Herberg, has 11 carries for 51 yards and one touchdown. So he's running the football tonight and trying to use the ground and pound attack to get Nebraska a win. Other games that took place earlier this week, Jacksonville State beat Middle Tennessee 45-30. to So there's a lot of key games this weekend and some big ones tomorrow as Rutgers will take on Wisconsin. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights will go to the streaming service of Peacock where that game will be televised and they'll take on their Big Ten foe, the Wisconsin Badgers. Rutgers comes in at 4-1, and one, Wisconsin at 3-1. and one. It's been a promising year for Greg Schiano and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights as they've gotten some good play at the quarterback position. Their running back has had a good season thus far. Wisconsin's a tough team. They like to play a wing offense. They like to, you know, play fast, physical. They like to play tough, so they'll be hard to defend for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights tomorrow, but that should be a fun game to watch at 12 noon, but you have to have a Peacock subscription to enjoy it. Other games we look at quickly for Week 6 action. Maryland at 5-0, undefeated, 2-0 in the Big Ten, will take on fourth-ranked Ohio State, who's 4-0. That'll be a battle of undefeateds. Maryland's quarterback, Tonga Vailoa, has had a good season thus far. He's got a total of 1,464 yards, 13 touchdowns, and three interceptions. And the ground and pound has proved dividend also, as Hemby's had a good season with 309 yards on the ground, four touchdowns, and 64 carries. So Maryland will be a tough out for Ohio State in this game. LSU taking on Missouri. Washington State taking on UCLA, 11th ranked Alabama will travel to Texas A&M and Syracuse at 4-1 will play North Carolina. Notre Dame will be on ABC as they will take on undefeated 25th ranked Louisville who comes in at 5-0. It's going to be a big game for Hartman. He needs to have a big game. Estime, the running back, needs to have a big game. Notre Dame's offense is going to need to have a big game to beat Louisville. Louisville's got a very tough defense and the offense is going to have to come out here and find ways to put points on the board. So that'll be an interesting watch. So we gave you some college football talk. We gave you some baseball talk. We also gave you some NFL talk. And 
A few other side notes I want to talk about on this evening's broadcast before we get to our NFL picks. If you're a WNBA fan, get excited as a local New York team. The WNBA Liberty will take to the hardwood and get ready for the WNBA Finals as they face the number one seeded Las Vegas Aces. It's the first trip to the finals in 21 years for New York's Liberty team, and it's back-to-back trips for the Vegas Aces. Listen, Courtney Vandersloot's going to have to show up. Brianna Stewart's going to have to show up. They're going to have to get some great play on the hardwood. They're a very good perimeter shooting team. They play fast and aggressively on defense. The one thing that worries me, though, is the Vegas Aces hit a lot of threes, and you can't get into a a big hole against the Vegas Aces because it'll be hard to come back and bounce back from that scoring hole if they put a lot of threes in the basket and are so fortunate to make them. So it's going to be interesting to see how this five-game series goes. I'm rooting for the Liberty, but something tells me the Aces are going to win the series, so we pay attention to that. Plus, Tom Brady took a minor ownership stake with the... Vegas Raiders early on in the NFL offseason. Now he will take some ownership stake in the Aces. Brady said he's very excited to be a part of the organization and he's looking forward to continued success and enjoying the sport of basketball. So Tom Brady goes from a supreme superior Hall of Fame quarterback to now having some ownership stakes in some sports teams along the way. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the sports side of things. The NBA will get ready to begin their season at the end of October. One of the teams that will be honed in on aggressively will be the San Antonio Spurs as Victor Wembenyama will suit up for Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs as the Spurs look to have some magic, look to have some winning success, look to bring back a winning culture to a franchise that has a veteran Hall of Fame head coach but has had younger players that haven't been able to go out there for 82 games and compete to the best of their ability, and they've been on the outside looking in for the last several years, so maybe now with guys like Vassell and Victor Wembenyama leading the fray there, maybe now they can climb the hurdle and get back to the Duncan, Ginobili, Robinson, Tony Parker era of Spurs basketball and be a dominant team in the Western Conference and make Greg Popovich proud. Greg Popovich also telling you that he's in it to continue to try and win it as he signed a five-year deal this offseason, so he will try and invest his leadership in making Victor Wembenyama a premier player for the San Antonio Spurs. And on the New York side of things, listen, we have to hope that the Knicks can compete and contend again and try to get to some postseason play, and we have to hope that the Nets can stop being a laughing stock in the NBA and get rid of the distractions on the hardwood at Barclays Center and try to become front and center and play some competitive basketball in a new NBA season. You got to see what LeBron James does with the Lakers. 
this season? Will they contend again in the Western Conference or will they fall a little flat and not exceed expectations? They had a good season last year. They played tough. And anytime you got LeBron and Anthony Davis and key guys there leading your team, you're going to go out and get a good performance on the hardwood. We just have to hope now that that success can continue again with LeBron James leading the L.A. Lakers. Hockey's close to starting as the Rangers and Devils and Islanders locally will get ready to take to the ice. Will the Florida Panthers be competitive again this year and make another deep run as they were a huge underdog storyline in the postseason last year, got all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and then fell short to reaching that end goal of capturing a championship. And by the way, folks, the weather here on the East Coast has been troublesome and problematic the last few years. So for anybody that goes out there and says global warming doesn't exist, I think you need to think twice about that before you say it. Because I've learned one thing over the last several years. When they say it's going to rain, it just doesn't rain. You get flooding, you get wind, you get thunder, you get lightning, you get really strong and aggressive weather patterns that really become treacherous conditions. We had another freak storm two weeks ago here on the East Coast where the rain was so bad that there was flooding all over the place. It was crazy. And I think we're going to have a bad winter here on the East Coast. So get your snowblowers out, get your shovels out, and get prepared to dig yourself out of what is going to be an El Nino pattern for this upcoming winter. Boy, now I know why people retire to Florida. They hear the word snow and they just get frantic and they say, I've had enough. Let me go to 90 degree weather year round. I'll tell you, when you're older, that's probably great to be in 90 degree weather year round but at the age of 37 going to be 38 I don't know if I could deal with 90 degree weather year round you could tell it's fall when the leaves start falling when the crisp air starts to come which it should next week as we have had some heat wave here this week here on the east coast It's been in the 80s a majority of the week. Freaky weather patterns and and unhealthy weather patterns too. So let's hope we get some cooler weather and get some crisp air to enjoy outside a little bit and enjoy the fall. I feel like we go from summer, we skip fall, we go into winter, then we skip spring and we go right into summer again. One day it's 30 degrees, the next day it's 80 and you're in your swimming pool. Something's wrong here, folks. Let's hope we get a little bit of fall this year. And let's get ready for our weekly NFL picks in a league where they play for pay. I started off slow. Week three, I had a three and one record. I have an overall record of seven and five. My broadcast partner, Andy Loigu, had a two and two record in week three. And he has an overall record of nine and three. So why don't we kick off our picks?
Okay, folks. So looking at the slate of games for Week 5 action as the pigskin will get ready to become front and center for Sunday action on the football field. The first game I looked at was the Houston Texans traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Desmond Ritter's had a big year thus far at the quarterback position. The Texans come in at 2-2. Two two. They've played well for D'Amico Ryans. They're coming off of a two-game win streak. They've scored 30 points over the Jags and the Steelers. C.J. Stroud is off to a good start at the quarterback position. You're starting to feel optimistic again about the Houston Texans. You're starting to feel like maybe now is their time to climb the hurdle a little bit and become a legit team again in the NFL instead of a revolving door year in and year out of looking for new coaches, being on the bottom of the barrel and wondering what the future holds. Maybe the Texans are ready to step up to that next level again. But they'll face a pesky Falcons team, a Falcons team that has lost two games in a row. They need a big game from Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, They need to get some of the ground and pound attack going this week. Their defense is going to have to get a few turnovers. The fact that the Texans have looked dominant the last two weeks would worry me from an Atlanta Falcons perspective. Atlanta is home. They play well at home. I think they're going to find a way to keep this game close. They're favored by one and a half. Something tells me, though, the Texans have some mojo right now. And when all is said and done, they're going to find a way to win this game. 27-20, Texans over the Falcons. Game number two, the Tennessee Titans are well coached. We know Mike Vrabel's a good coach. We know Tannehill isn't a big-time quarterback. And we know that he lacks in specific areas when it comes to throwing the football downfield and has some weaknesses. They're coming off of a win against the Bengals last week. The Bengals have been a concern so far at the start of this season. They'll need to commit to the ground game. They'll need to run the football. They'll need to make Derrick Henry front and center. They'll need to move the chains, work the clock, and do what they do best, run the football. When the Titans run the football and keep the time of possession in their favor, they generally find a way to win games. Don't turn the ball over, run the football, work the clock, and you should have a good game plan and a good win against the Indianapolis Colts. I like what I've seen out of the Colts. I thought it was going to be a rough year for Shane Steichen, the head coach, but you know what? His team has played competitive for him. They lost a close game to the Rams 29-23 last week. Their star running back, Jonathan Taylor, returns to the field and will suit up in uniform for the Colts this week. We know what Jonathan Taylor can do. He can find the gaps. He can get big yards on the ground. He runs the football, and he does it well, and he's fast. I think the Titans, though, are going to have to tame Jonathan Taylor if they want to win this game. Something tells me the Titans are going to find a way to win this game late. They're favored by two and a half. I like the Titans winning this game 21-17, game number two. Game number three. 
boy, what a rough start it's been for the Cincinnati Bengals. That Joe Burrow injury seemed to be worse than originally expected by many fans who root for this team week in and week out as the Bengals are off to a slow and sluggish start for the 2023 NFL season. T. Higgins is questionable with an injury. We hope that he plays. Burrow needs to bounce back and have a positive game. We know that Joe Mixon's going to run the football. We know that they have the key receivers there that can help them get yardage situations, but the passing game hasn't seemed to jive well over the last four weeks, and really it's going to have to be about Burrow stepping it up. And you'd have to wonder now when they decide to maybe use Jake Browning or A.J. McCarron, a backup to try and get the Bengals to some of their winning success. You'd have to wonder when they decide to go down that road if this injury with Burrow is more serious than what they're perceiving it to be. It's a big game for the Bengals. They need to come back. They need to play offensive football. They need to make some big plays. And they're coming in against the Cardinals team who's 1-3. and three. The Cardinals aren't a great team. Joshua Dobbs has looked okay. I know they beat the Dallas Cowboys two weeks ago, which was a surprise victory to say the least. But listen, I think if any week the Bengals can get a win, it's this week against the Cardinals. They're favored by three points. Something tells me the offense is going to find some rhythm this week. I think they're going to get some big play from the running back mix in. I think Burrow's going to finally find some open receivers and get some big plays downfield, which they're noted for their big play offensive ability. And I think when all is said and done, the Bengals are going to bounce back and get a big win on the road. They're favored by three. I like the Bengals winning this game 28-14 for my third game of Week 5 action on the football field. The 8-15 Monday night game should be a good matchup as the Green Bay Packers have not disappointed thus far this season. We like what we've seen out of quarterback Jordan Love. The offense has been impressive. They've had some key contributors. I know Bakazari is out defensively, which could hurt them a little bit. But the Raiders, too, are off to a slow start. They need Devontae Adams to be key in this game if they want a chance to win it. They need to get some big playability from him. They need Jacobs to step up. They need the defense to get a few turnovers. If the Raiders can have a good game and get some big offensive playability out of Devontae Adams at the receiving core and out of Jacobs at the running back position, then I think they can fend off the three losses and find a way to get back on a winning streak. The Raiders are favored by one. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth game. I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think it's going to go right down to the wire. Something tells me the Raiders are going to win this game by one. 24-23, Raiders over the Packers for game number four. So to recap my week five picks in the league where they play for pay, I got the Texans over the Falcons 27-20. Game number two, Titans over the Colts 21-17. Game number three, I got the Bengals over the Cardinals who are favored by three 28-14. 
And I got the Raiders favored by one, beating the Packers 24-23. And my broadcast partner, Andy Loigu, he's rooting hard for his Philadelphia Eagles again. He comes in with an overall record at 9-3, went 2-2 two two in Week 3. He's looking to have a better week, and he'll hope that the Eagles can beat the Rams by a final score of 38-27. to He likes the Ravens over the Steelers in a bludgeoning 34-16. He's not confident in Kenny Pickett. He's not confident in that lackluster Steelers offense, and he thinks the Ravens are going to go out there and trounce them by a final score of 34 to 16. Wow, he's confident that the giant offense with Daniel Jones is going to put up 24 points, but he likes Tua Tungavailoa to lead his offense with 37 points. He likes the Dolphins to beat the Giants in Miami 37 to 24. And he likes the San Francisco 49ers to beat the Dallas Cowboys in a rematch of last year's postseason divisional game, 27-14. to So Andy Loigu's picks for Week 5, Eagles over the Rams, 38-27. Ravens over the Steelers, 34-16. Dolphins over the Giants, 37-24. And the 49ers over the Cowboys, 27 27- to 14 and those are your week five nfl picks in a league where they play or pay well folks we've given you an in-depth sports broadcast we've covered a lot we've given you thought-provoking hard-hitting sports talk and all i ask you to do in return is spread the word you're not going to get this on commercial radio you're not going to get this on the satellite service you got to pay for to find entertainment value, but you're guaranteed to get it on the World Wide Web, and you're guaranteed to get it in playback form through Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you go for your daily audio craving. Let's hope locally that the Jets and Giants can have bounce-back weeks and find a way to eke out a win as the Giants travel to Miami and take on the Dolphins. The Jets will play the revenge game against Sean Payton in the mile-high city of Denver and hope to get more progress from Zach Wilson at the quarterback position. And let's enjoy the baseball postseason. It'll be interesting to see what these teams do now in the divisional round and who will be there when all is said and done when the Fall Classic hits at the end of October. We look forward to coming back next week to chat with you about sports. My broadcast partner, Andy Loigu, who was MIA tonight, will hopefully be back next week. And quickly down over the AP Newswire before we leave the airwaves tonight, the Niners acquire edge rusher Gregory from the Broncos. So the Niners add more to a team that's already undefeated by bringing over Randy Gregory from the Denver Broncos will now come to the San Francisco 49ers and help the 49ers continue their winning ways. What else do we have here on the wire before we leave the airwaves tonight? Sean McVay expects Cooper Cup to play, barring any setbacks. And by the way, Travis Kelsey week in and week out has one job to do. The job he has is to be a prolific tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. When you take to the football field to go to work and do your job, 
Can you leave Taylor Swift out of it? We all know Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. We all know she was in the press box at Kansas City two weeks ago. We all know she was at MetLife when the Chiefs barely survived against the New York Jets, rooting hard for Kelsey. We all know that they went to Manhattan and ventured out in the Big Apple when Kelsey was here. We know that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey have the hots for one another. But the sports fan wants to enjoy the sport that they're looking forward to watching. They don't want to constantly hear about Taylor Swift. That's Travis Kelsey's personal life. Yes, she's a big superstar. Yes, she makes billions and billions of dollars. Yes, she's a top-tier singer and great at what she does. Yes, she sells out venues when she performs, stadiums and arenas. Yes, a lot of the younger generation loves her. But when I turn on a football game, I'm watching the football game to enjoy what's going on on the football field. I could care less what celebrity is there observing that event. It doesn't matter to me. So this Taylor Swift stuff, okay, they're dating. Move on. I don't need to be saturated day in and day out about Taylor Swift. It's gotten to a point now where Kelsey's taking to the podium in midweek press conferences saying how his relationship with Swift won't hurt his focus on the football field. Well, it shouldn't. That's your job to catch footballs, Travis, isn't it? Haven't you been a vital part of the Chiefs' success? Let Taylor Swift go out there and perform for the masses and make a ton of money and have fun singing to the younger generation that enjoys her music. She can go to a game and watch it. She can date anybody she wants. That's none of my business. But what I would like in return is to watch a football game without being focused on Taylor Swift. I mean, NBC zoned in on her last Sunday night more than... I think I've ever seen any celebrity focused on for a sporting event. By the way, Oklahoma State just beat Kansas State 29-21. So Oklahoma State will move to 3-2. Kansas State will now move to 3-2. So a big win for Oak State tonight over Kansas State. That's a final. Nebraska has a 20-7 lead over Illinois. So I thank you all for listening. SportsBuzzShow1 at gmail.com. SportsBuzzShow, the number one at gmail.com is where you can find me for any thoughts, feelings, or opinions you have about this broadcast or anything else you want to discuss about what's happening in the world of sports. Shoot me an email and I will get back to you. Spread the word as we try to grow the brand and we try to entertain the masses on a weekly basis. You've just listened to this October 6th edition of the Sports Buzz. I was Kevin Wolf, your host. My broadcast partner, Andy Loigel, will be back with me next week as I drove this ship solo tonight. For all the sports junkies out there, I thank you to all the people who have listened. I thank you to all the callers who have contributed. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back next week, folks. Same place, same time. Here is We Are the Champions. Adios until next time. We are the champions.